This is a stanza, stanza in the Lord's Prayer. Amen. Matthew chapter 6. Um, as we finish that last worship song, there's that, that line about thy kingdom come. And sometimes I don't know if as uh, followers of Jesus, uh, we may know, we may not know. But what we're asking for God to do uh, when we're asking for the kingdom to come uh, on earth. And so Jesus said it this way. He says, thy kingdom, kingdom come. The disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray. Amen. Right? And this is in the red letters. Amen. So actually there is a moment in our journey where we have to be taught how to pray. And so Jesus teaches us how to pray. He says, this is how you ought to pray, disciples. He says, pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so the, 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 the echoes, it reverberates. And so it basically, when you're asking for God's kingdom to arrive, notice Jesus didn't tell us to build the kingdom of God. Notice that Jesus didn't tell us that it's all up to us to do this. He says, simply pray that it arrives. Pray that it shows up. Pray that it manifests itself. He says, pray that the kingdom of God comes on earth as it is in heaven. So my prayer as a pastor of this church, uh, a mission house who is situated in the city of Salisbury in the county of Rowan in the state of North Carolina, it is this. Lord, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in Salisbury, in Rowan County, and in North Carolina, and God bless America, in the United States of America, that in the rest of the world, but in this place, on this street, on Statesville Boulevard, your kingdom show up today. Yes. And what does this mean? Does it mean that men build monuments or organizations to their names? Or does it mean that we build up a nonprofit empire to take over the world and take the city for Jesus, as we say in the church? Or does it mean something else? You got to read the Gospels to find out. But we do know this when the kingdom does arrive in the Gospels. Set aside TVN, set aside Christian popular culture, set aside even some Christian music. Let me just tell you, if you want to know what it looks like when the kingdom of God shows up, read the Gospels. Amen. Take a fast from Christian social media, popular culture for a moment, popular Christian songs. Let's set them aside for a moment and look at those gospel words. What does it look like when the kingdom of God shows up? Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Glad to see y'all. Uh, welcome to our first-time guest uh, this morning. Uh, this is going to jump into our, our message this morning. Uh, we're starting a new series called uh, Ten Words of the Holy. And what we'll be discussing is the Ten Commandments. Uh, it's uh, popular nowadays uh, for Christians uh, to enforce their Christian values and worldview on the population. Uh, here, even here locally, you know, uh, local county commissioners are telling people uh, they have to start their meetings in prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Although we don't have to act like Jesus in our policy, right? It's okay if we pray in Jesus' name. And so it's almost like I want to go give a Bible study sometimes to some of these folks and tell them, yo, if you're going to pray in Jesus' name, you got to act like Jesus. Right. Amen. Amen. That means, like, what happened to the poor? What happened to Medicaid expansion? I don't understand. I won't go down this way. I ain't gonna get too political with y'all this morning. No, no, no. This ain't the mood today. We got folks that need to be together. I want you to be encouraged this morning, amen. I want you to leave too angry this morning. But there's a movement afoot in our culture the way that Christians talk about the Ten Commandments. And I hope to literally destroy that this morning. Christians often imagine the Ten Commandments are for everybody. That God was talking to everybody. Guess what? He wasn't. <laughs> so we're going to start off this teaching this morning. I want you to get the importance of the Ten Commandments. We're going to talk about this a little bit. And so I'm just going to start off with these few words is this. What happens to a community? We talk about as individuals how... Uh, our lives become filled with God's presence. How our lives become filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit, the the, uh, the church world. We talk about this a lot. How it's important that in this spiritual journey with Christ, that you learn what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Right? 
We talk about even the song we just sang, spirit break out, right, into our personal lives. And so that, that, asks, that, that causes a fundamental question to emerge. What does it look like for the Holy Spirit to break out in our lives? Paul talks about this in Galatians chapter 5. He talks about the fruit of the Spirit. In, second, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he talks about the gifts of the Spirit. But the thing is, I find it interesting when, he, when Paul talks about the Holy Spirit, um, he always is addressing the community. And so the fundamental question is this. What does it look like for a community of Jesus' followers, what does it look like for us to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit as a community, as a collective, as a spiritual family on mission together? What does it look like for us to have God's Shekinah, the Hebrew word, manifest glory and presence? What does it look like to be a group of human beings who God's presence, God chooses to abide and manifest God's presence in our midst? What do we look like when God is present in our lives? It looks like what Jesus describes in Mark chapter 12. And this is going to be our jump off point before we get to the commandments. Because I think i got to start with Jesus a little bit. And then we're going to go back to Moses in the, book, in the Old Testament in the book of Exodus. But we're going to start with Mark chapter 12. Verse 28, we'll be reading verses 28 through 34. Bless your word, Father, to your people. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? And I love this. We've been studying Mark in our midweek in Bible lab. We will have Bible lab this week. We had a little issue. You can tell. I think Tony mentioned what's going on. And so uh, this week we will continue our journey through the Gospel of Mark. This Wednesday at 7 o'clock at Bible Lab. If you can't join in person, we will have it on Facebook Live. If you want to watch it online, uh, live. But one of the things we've been talking about the Gospel of Mark, the big theme of the Gospel of Mark is this. What happens when the kingdom of God arrives? And so in the last couple weeks ago, we talked about how Jesus, if you want to know what it looks like for the kingdom of God to arrive, look at Jesus in the Gospels. Nobody else. Just look at Jesus in the Gospels and look at what he does. And so as we know that in the Gospel of Mark, uh, Jesus is embodying perfectly, living out. He is an exemplar of what the kingdom of God looks like when it arrives in the world. And so Jesus is being pushed by the Holy Spirit to engage in kingdom of God work. In the, in, the, in the world of, the, of, of ancient Palestine, in Jerusalem, and so Galilee, and all these different places. And so Jesus has been launched out, and he's doing all kind of things that point to the fact that the kingdom of God has arrived. He heals people. He feeds the poor. He speaks truth to those in power. He creates community where resources are distributed to those who have need. He claims and declares people clean who the world says is unclean. He makes the table big for everybody to participate in. This is what it looks like when the kingdom of God shows up. And it gives another, uh, 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 another window, if you will, of what the kingdom of God looks like when it shows up. He says, and so the, the, the teachers of the law, they always come to confound Jesus, try to trip him up, to try to, how to say it, delegitimize his spiritual authority to teach the kingdom of God, to represent the kingdom of God. And so Jesus always, saw the Gospels, and particularly Mark, Jesus always had challengers who were uh, uh, fearful for his growing movement. And so they would come like spies and say, well, you know, the Bible says this, brother. What do you believe about this? Right? I know, folks. 
cross that day sometimes. Amen. And so they came to him. They saw Jesus giving some good answers. And so they were like trying to just quiz him to, 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 to try to get him to uh, give some answers, to, to interrogate him is probably a better word to describe it. And so, oh, Jesus, so what's the most important one of all the commandments? And so this give you a little background. When they say commandments, they're talking about the Ten Commandments, but they're also talking about all the rest of the 600 and some uh, uh, laws that in the Law of Moses, in the first five books of the Bible, Right, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And so Jesus is saying, they're asking Jesus, so Jesus, out of all those several hundreds of laws that are laid out in the book of uh, the law of Moses, Jesus, which one is the most important commandment? So he had a lot to choose from. And I love Jesus. He's so wise. I hope to be like him one day. as we all should hope to be. So verse 29, <laughs> the most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Shema, Israel, the banner words that gathered Israel as a people that made them a nation. Verse 30, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength or body. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher. The man replied, you are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart and with all your understanding and with all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. Mm. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him this, you are not far from the kingdom of God. But what I want you to notice is this. They asked Jesus, what is the most important commandment? Of all the most of all the commandments, which is the most important one? <clears throat> 29, Jesus said in the red letters, the most important one? Notice the language. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your whole soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second one, I thought he would just give me one commandment. But he says, the second one is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Did you catch that? Jesus said, I'm just going to tell you the one commandment that's greater than all the law of Moses, all those 700 laws, all the laws dealing with burnt offerings and rituals, how to run the temple, how to be priests, how to deal with strangers and aliens, all these different laws. I'm going to tell you one, love God, love your neighbor with all you got. But Jesus gave two. But Jesus said, I'm going to tell you one. What does that mean? They're the same. To love your neighbor is to love God. To love God means that we should see some neighborly love. How do you know when Christians are loving God? By how they treat their neighbors. Doggone it, Jesus. We just can't love God and forget about our neighbors. We just can't love God and forget about those the least of these in our community. We just can't love God for me and God, me and Jesus and nobody else, my kids, my husband, my spouse, my partner, my, my community, whoever else, even myself. I just got to love God. That's the Christianity oftentimes today we hear. It's just about me and Jesus. It's about me and God. But Jesus said, I'm giving you one commandment. 
Love God and love your neighbor. You can't separate. Jesus said you can't separate this. There is no distinction. There is no contradiction. There is no paradox here. There is no like one over the other. You either love God and neighbor or you don't at all. That's why I don't understand neighborless Christianity. I don't understand how political leaders can go in the name of Christian values and forget about poor people, people who just went through a natural disaster in Puerto Rico. How are you going to talk about Christian values and you forget about a whole people that you are responsible for? Christians have lost their mind. Jesus said, you can't love your neighbor and you don't love God. That's a hard word. I love what Jesus is stressing here. Notice how Jesus said, God, you gotta love. I love this. Jesus said, This is how you gotta love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. With all your soul. And with all your mind and with all your strength. That don't mean that you got to be 100% all the time. That means it's just whatever you got. <laughs> all you might just got to, I thank you God. Or all you got might just be for a neighbor is a hug. You might not have no money yourself. But you got a smile and a hug. You got a voice. You can speak on behalf of people who may not know their voice yet. Jesus says, love with all your heart and mind. And so Jesus says, when you get this, when you know how to love God and love your neighbor, which are the same thing, when you are loving your neighbor, Jesus said, with all your heart, your son, your whole being, when you are loving, guess what? When you actually demonstrate this and when you live this out in your, amongst your family, your, your partner, your kids, if you have them, or your immediate family, your extended family, your, your neighborhood, your community, your city, if you, if you are actually living out love, guess what? Jesus said, you are not far from the kingdom of God. What does this mean, y'all? Let me break it down. When you love your neighbor, the kingdom of God has arrived. Amen. I know it's simple, right? You know all this other stuff folks be saying. It's very simple. When you love your neighbor, guess what? The kingdom of God has arrived. You are not far from the kingdom of God. So we just killed that mystery right there. It's very simple. So next time people say, well, so when the kingdom of God, when does it show up? When we show love. That's why we are an army of love. Amen. We're trying to demonstrate the kingdom of God in the midst of this world around us. And I love this, that verse 34. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. You are not far from the kingdom of God. You are not far from the kingdom of God. So what does that mean? If you're not demonstrating love for your neighbors, and see, the thing I love about Jesus is, you know, Jesus was very, uh, a little radical, right? He was just a little radical. He was a little subversive. I'm no longer using the word revolutionary anymore. Because revolutionary means you just come back to where you started. Jesus was doing more than that. He was like, what a revolution, right? You start right here. Revolution means one turn. You go back to where you started. No, Jesus was disruptive. He was introducing something new in the mix. That's why the world is trapped in the language and logic of revolution. Because it has one narrative. I don't want to get into that. But Jesus is here to introduce the kingdom of God into the midst of the human reality, the human world, human civilization. Jesus came to arrive and to bring arrival of the kingdom of God. So what does that mean? 
Jesus was disruptive in the sense of what does it mean to be a neighbor? The Samaritan, the good story of the Good Samaritan. Right? We talk about this story all the time. Y'all heard this, right? Raise your hand heard the story of the Good Samaritan. Right? Y'all know the story. I'm going to go to the text. And so, there was a man who was beaten by thieves, laying out on the side of the road to die. And the good Christian or the good Jewish people, the really devout people, kept seeing him in the ditch and said, oh, man, I'm sorry. That's just too bad. And just kept walking on by. It was like a scribe, a, 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 a priest, and these people who have both been examples of holy people in Jesus' culture, or what we would say today, good church folk, right? And so that's what Jesus is saying. And so a good church people kept walking by, seeing him in the ditch. Oh, poor Puerto Rico. Or, you know, uh, <laughs> 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 poor Obamacare recipients. Just walked on by. And the subversive aspect of that story is people miss it is, it is a Samaritan who was not even a Jew. As we would say today, somebody who's not even a Christian. He gets it. He becomes a good neighbor. He has not even sworn allegiance to the God of Israel. As Jews understood it, they had their own religion. Don't miss the point. This is what we would call the church today, as we would say uh, and I, I don't use this language, but we talked about this in lab recently about the word lost, the lost, right? Those unbelievers, those non-church people that we see in church culture. The lost, which is interesting. It's a side note. Um, the only people that are called lost in the scriptures, y'all ready for this? The only people that are called lost in the scripture are God's people. The lost sheep of the house of Israel. You can't be lost unless you were misplaced. You ever lost your car keys? Amen. You ever lost your phone? Amen. How did you know you lose? You lost it. Because at one point you had it, and then some moment later, what you forgot, you don't have it anymore. That's why I always find it strange when Christians who call people who don't follow Jesus lost. I was like, that don't make any sense to me. That means he had them, and then he lost them. This is biblical. The lost in Scripture are only referred to as God's people. Not Gentiles, not unbelievers. That's biblical. I know y'all. some of y'all have been socialized by white evangelicalism to think that those who are not white evangelicals are lost outside the church, but I'm here to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We get lost. We get off our post. The world is doing what it do. And so Jesus subverses, this. He says, uh, uh, a neighbor is like the kingdom of God can arrive anywhere, even with a Samaritan. Mm. Y'all ready for this? Mm, mm, mm. Y'all sure? Man, the kingdom of God can arrive even with a Muslim. Oh. And you say, no, pastor. Kingdom of God can't arrive with a Muslim. It ain't your kingdom. It's God's kingdom. And God can use whoever he wants to use on his creation to get the job done. Especially when the church is off its post, God can use anybody. God can use an atheist. God can use a Muslim. God can use a heathen, whatever that is. And so God can use whoever God wants to use. Read your Bible. Read the Old Testament. God used Gentile kings for all his purposes. God even come what's called a Gentile king in the Old Testament. He's my anointed. I know you want to control the kingdom. I get it. You're American. You want to rule everything. Even God. Even Jesus. Even uh, the, the kingdom of God. We are socialized to try to control and our egos are, are socialized and cultivated to try to control everything. Even God. We 
believe in and taught to try to control God with our obedience. Have a behavior right, God, you got to do this. How about you just do it because it's right? That's the mature position. Rewards and punishments is for kids. Rewards and punishments is for kids. If you don't do your homework, no sugar stacks to you. If you don't do no homework, no, this is us for you. Well, maybe, you know, this is us. <laughs> this is like one of the best TV shows ever. You told me you addicted. Or they said, y'all need to watch this. I watch it. I'm like, oh my God. I'm like crying every episode. Yeah. Awful, awful stuff. Anyway, maybe we'll let you watch This Is Us. Let me, let me translate to the church world. If you don't tie God to hate you. If you don't tie, God curses you. If you don't do X, Y, and Z, God's favor and love are withheld from you. Jesus said this. There's another one I'm going to mess up today, but I'm going to teach him all the day. Is that okay? I'm just going to teach him all the day. So here's the thing Jesus said, Be holy. Not so you can get some stuff from God, like God is like the Powerball or a genie or something like that. Jesus said, be holy. Why? Because God is holy. That's right. So I'm telling people, even in their giving, like we are a church, and so it requires finances to run this thing, this mission, to be a community-based organization that wants to bless the community, it takes finances. But I refuse to tell people, if you don't tie to this place, God's going to put a hole in your wallet. And he's going to remove the hedge of protection about you. He's going to send Satan to, de to devour your family and your finances. No, I'm going to tell you this. Give. Why? Because God is generous. Yes. And if you are his children, yes. then you are called to be generous. Amen. Not just here, but in life. Do what I see the Father doing. So why I love your neighbor? Because that's what Jesus does. That's what God does. If you are made in God's image, you are called to be a good neighbor. You are called to be a faithful and loving neighbor. And so people ask me, what is the goal of Christianity? I always struggle with this, y'all. I ain't gonna lie. There's a moment of transparency. All the struggles that what's the point of all of this? Is it to just have a good worship service and have a good sermon to have people to show up week in and week out and have a good time in worship? There's nothing wrong with having a good time in worship. But I was like, God, there's got to be a higher goal for the church and the world. What are you calling us to do? And he told me to that pastor, I'm calling you to be a good neighbor. I'm calling you to love me. Which is the same thing. To be an army of love. So we have to grow in love of God, grow in love of neighbor. But it still seems a little abstract for me. So, Pastor, what does that look like? What does it mean to love God? And what does it mean to love our neighbors? What does it mean to be a church that is learning how to, a, a community of Jesus followers, what does it mean for us to learn how to love God and to love our neighbors? And what does that actually look like? What does that actually mean? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Turn to Exodus, uh, Exodus chapter 18. I'm sorry, Exodus 19. We're going to set you up the Ten Commandments. We're not going to get into the commandments today. I'm going to hit two, the first two commandments next Sunday. But I had to set this up for you. And I love the Jewish scriptures in particular, as some Christians call the Old Testament. I don't call it the Old Testament. I call it the Hebrew scriptures. I'm an anti-Semite. 
as if this is not relevant anymore. This is still relevant. So I call it the Hebrew scriptures. So in the Hebrew scriptures, in Exodus chapter 19, join with me on this journey. And before I read this, I want you to understand what has happened. <clears throat> Help me, God. I want you to understand what has happened here. So what we're about to jump into is the beginnings of what does it look like to love God and what does it look like to love our neighbors. And so for the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about this from the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are like Jesus gave like the, the, the vision, right? He gave like the mission statement. But then here in the law of Moses, he gives the objectives. Or... He gives ten words to describe what it looks like to love God and to love neighbor. And he doesn't say commandments. It's actually the word word. He gives ten words, ten commandments. Or for me, another way to describe the ten commandments, they're not just rules, right? We tend to think in this culture as Christians, the ten commandments are just rules. What they are, there's a phrase... In philosophy, it talks about how words are like windows, like metaphor. They, they point to something. They point to reality. They are not the reality themselves, but they point to the reality itself. Words are like that. When I write the word, I'm about to say the C word, I'm sorry. Dog. If I was to go put my whiteboard out and write the word dog on there, guess what that is not? Is that a dog? Right? It is a word that points to a reality of what an, a, a four-layer canine creature that as humans we've agreed as a society, we call them dogs. The Ten Commandments are words that describe, they are windows that describe what happens when a community has been caught up in the Shekinah, when what happens when a community that is caught up in God's presence, or when God has made God's abode and has set up shop and has made home amongst a human community. This is what it looks like when God shows up in our midst. It begins to shape, it begins to create a community of people, one who have sworn loyalty to the one God. It looks like people who learn how to love their neighbors. Why? How? By not lying to them, not trying to steal their stuff, and not trying to uh, steal somebody's spouse or partner or whatever. And so all these different commandments are windows to the reality of what it looks like when a human community has been captured by God. Saved by God. Acts 19.1, Israel has left Egypt. They have left a very, they have left slavery. Y'all know this story, right? Israel was in Egypt and slavery in Egypt for 400 years. And so they were in a society where they were oppressed. They were in a society where they were taught and they were treated like they were things, not other human beings. They were taught, how should I say it? They were taught how to be anti-neighborly. They were taught how not to love themselves. Right? Y'all remember when Moses had to hit them people out in the wilderness? They, they, they've been delivered from slavery. They are experiencing freedom for the first time. And so they're out there with Moses, and they tell Moses, well, man, we like it better than slavery. Sometimes you can take people from the pyramids, but... Sometimes you can't take the pyramids out of people. Amen. Sometimes you can take people out of a situation of oppression, civil rights movement, but you can't take the oppression out of their hearts. Sometimes people who have been oppressed or they've been traumatized, they've been in captivity, they've been in bondage, the bondage gets on the inside. That's the hard part, right? That's the hard part to get the oppression and the bondage uh, out of one's heart and mind. And so... Uh, they have left Egypt, but in many ways, Egypt has not left them. Let me put it that way. 
Israel had left Egypt. But Egypt had not left them. So God was like, all right, Moses, I'm going to have to teach y'all how to not be like Egypt. I'm going to have to teach y'all how to be the community that I've called you to be, a just and loving and faithful community who honors me as the, their liberator, as their savior who left, who, who took them out of bondage, who took them out of slavery. I'm going to have to train y'all. I'm going to have to give you uh, some windows to look at to describe what it looks like to be a, a community that is free. Here's the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are really about freedom. We'll go, as we go forth in our series, we'll talk more about that. But I want you to notice what happens as God set this up with Jesus, I mean, with uh, Moses. On the first day of the third month, after the Israelites left Egypt, hmm, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai in Israel, camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Something about mountains spiritually. You know, one thing about mountaintops in Scripture is that usually mountaintops are places in Scripture where God gives something. God reveals something. And also in Scripture, in deserts, oftentimes in deserts, you know, people talk about, I'm in a wilderness place right now. I'm in a desert. See, oftentimes in desert places, God is taking something from you. Or allowing something to die in you. They entered the desert of Sinai. And Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. See, sometimes we want to go to the mountaintop without losing some stuff. We want to go high in God without losing some things. But the thing I've learned about going to the mountaintop with God, you got to travel light. Amen. Say, Pastor, I feel like I've been stripped of some things lately. I feel like I've lost some things lately. Hey, man, praise God. You know what that means? That means you're traveling up the mountaintop. I don't know where that came from. That was not in my notes. And so, then Moses went up to God. I love it. Moses is traveling light. He went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob. And what you are to tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. All the whole earth is mine. You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. And God is not trying to be some kind of tyrant or some kind of authoritarian figure. He said, yo, I saved y'all from a very bad situation. I need you to stick with me. And I love God. It's like, well, why would he say use such language of ownership? Because God understood if God didn't take them, if they didn't keep close to God's side, guess what? They'll go back to what they were. That's why God said, you got to stay with me. you got to stay by my side. you got to stay in my presence. Why? Because I don't want you to go back to Egypt, either geographically or in your heart. Yeah. Yeah. So Moses went back, and some of the elders of the people set before them all the words of the Lord had commanded them to speak. The people all responded together. We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. Verse 9, the Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord said to Moses, now go to the people and to consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready for, by the third day, because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it, 
Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. Right? Wow, okay. And that's pretty hard for us 21st century uh, North American democratic ears. But God let them know this is serious business. Y'all don't understand the depth of what you just escaped from. You don't understand the depth of your oppression and your slavery in your heart. You don't understand the depth of your bondage. You thought just making brick and mortar for the Egyptians was the rough part. No, the rough part was the making of the brick and mortar that was going on the inside. So I need to let you know, I need to give you an object lesson. Who has delivered you? Who has saved you? And I love this. The NIV kind of sanitizes the language in the Hebrew. But when it says a, a, a thick darkness or, a, or it says actually a thick cloud, right? Um, it's actually uh, the word a thick darkness. I love that. Because oftentimes in, in, the, in the world in which we live, this darkness and blackness are seen as negatives, as, uh, as uh, uh, things that are bad or evil or not good. And, but here it is. We are given an image that God's presence is actually... Thick darkness is his actual Shekinah is manifest in the darkness. In a thick darkness. And then he says, uh, they are to be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on them. No person or animal shall be permitted to live that touches the mountain. Mm. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they approach the mountain. Mm. Interesting. After Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them and they washed their clothes and he said to the people, prepare yourselves for the third day and stay for sexual relations. Right, I want you to keep your mind focused. What's about to happen here? And on the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick darkness or cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. And everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke. And oftentimes people say, man, that would seem pretty harsh of God to be so like authoritarian. And so this thing I love about God, God understood that. Uh, at this point, they only have learned how to respond to power. One of the things I've learned as an activist, as a faith-rooted activist in this community, sometimes people are scared of freedom. Sometimes our own people are scared of liberation. And I love God. God doesn't pick them up out the shallow end of the pool and drop them in the deep end of freedom. God kind of like eased them on down. So God had to give a display of power saying, yo, I'm in charge. I had to let you know <laughs> I'm more powerful than the Egyptians. So God had to show a, a, a show of strength. Sometimes in our faith, what well, God, you ever notice, especially those of us who come from uh, 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 religious backgrounds, church backgrounds where we talk a lot about the subjective experience of God, right? You ever notice how when you first got saved, God's power and presence was very pronounced? Yeah. 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 Amen. God was like, I'm here. <laughs> I need you to follow me. And so God had to give a sure strength. Try to close out here. And so, verse 17, that Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended to the top of the Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up, and the Lord said to him, Go down and warn the people so they do not force their way through to see the Lord, and many of them perish. Even the priests and who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves, or the Lord will break out against them. Again, he's got to show strength. 
Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up Mount Sinai because you yourself warned us. Put limits around the mountain and set it apart as holy. The Lord replied, go down and bring Aaron up to you, with you. But the priests and the people must not force their way through to come up to the Lord or he will break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. And the Lord spoke these words. And the Lord spoke these ten words. This is what it's going to look like, y'all. I had to show you my strength. I had to show you that I'm better than Pharaoh. That I'm better than the Egyptians. You've seen my power. But now you've got to learn how to be different. Now you've got to learn how not to be slaves anymore. Now you've got to learn how not to be slavers anymore. Because some of them people, all of them were not slaves. Some of them were slave drivers. Put in as middlemen between the Egyptians and their own people. He said, I got to show y'all how not to be slaves anymore, how to be oppressed anymore, but I also got to show you how not to be oppressors and slavers. So I got 10 words for you to start you off. To summarize this, I got to teach y'all how to be free people. One of the things I'm learning, y'all, and those of you who engage in work in our community, you do know this. You got to learn how to be free. No government can ultimately free you. You got to be free regardless of what other human beings say. Regardless of what other human beings do. You got to learn how to be free inside and psychologically and learn how to be free. And sometimes I'm going to tell you something. And, and, you know, we've seen in history when men and women of God and men and women of conscience, when they decided to be free, and sometimes they got killed for it, but they died free. Sometimes the world, let me just put it out there theologically, spiritually for you. See, the world, the systems of principalities and powers don't want you to be free. God says, I'm teaching y'all how to be a free people. Now, in America, it has hijacked the language of freedom. We've been told that freedom is doing whatever you want to do. In the kingdom of God, there's two main ways that you're called to be free. Guess what they are? Love God and love your neighbor. To be free in the kingdom of God is to be free for your neighbor. To look after them, that is freedom in the kingdom of God. And so God is telling Moses, God is telling the people in the thick darkness, he's saying, y'all have once been in bondage, you've been in the house of bondage, slaves in the system of Egypt, and now I've called you out of this to be my possession, to be my people. You are called to be a kingdom, a nation of priests. I've called you to be a free people, a people that have been free from me and free from my neighbor. That's why worship is so important uh, when we come together and sing songs. We just ain't singing songs. We're learning how to be free for God. We're also learning how to be free for each other. Worship should make people free. Should make free people. This is what the Ten Words of the Holy is about. This is what the Ten Commandments are about. They're trying to create, take, take a people from slavery who are in bondage and teach them how to be free people. This is what it looks like to be freedom. To be where freedom is the kingdom we're free, dumb, the dominion of free. Free, dumb. So what does the kingdom of God look like when it arrives in Salisbury? There's a bunch of crazy folk down there. They think they're free. They're free for their neighbors. 
They're free for the least of these. They're free for each other. They're free for their family, their children, their extended family. And this is what the Ten Commandments are going to take us through. We're going to go through each commandment, and we're going to talk about how it's going to make us free for God and free for our neighbors, and how to love God and how to love our neighbors. Ultimately, ultimately, what the Ten Commandments will do or what they are designed to do, what God gave them to reveal to us is this. How to be love in a world where there is none. God give us these words. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, we thank you right now for your word. God bless your people. God, we thank you for your salvation. We thank you for liberating us from bondage and bringing into the kingdom of your dear son whom you love. God, show us how to follow this son, your son. God, show us how to walk as free people in this world, in this community, in this city. God, teach us how to love you and when the same, how to love our neighbors. May you anoint your people today to walk in this. In Jesus' name. Thank God for y'all. Uh, thank God for uh, your diligence, your commitment to this ministry, even in your giving. Uh, also thank uh, some of you this past week. I just want to lift up real quick. Uh, those who are our mentors for uh, the documentary production, if you could please stand. I just want to recognize you. Any mentors in the room? Danny Arnisha, Ash, Tanya, Ms. Brenda. Oh, okay. I have my glasses on, so I can't see. I didn't see figures. Danny back there. And we have youth that participated. We have an assistant director, Gabby. Any other youth here that participated? Most of them probably in the back. So uh, we went, some of you are probably aware, we went through a seven-month journey.